Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So the Bucks are the first Super Bowl team in 44 years to return all 22 starters after they re-signed Indomitian Sue and Leonard Fournette late last week. We'll tell you what that means. And what's left to be done? The Rays cut down their roster for opening day, and pitcher Josh Fleming was not among the players they're keeping, at least not initially. And the Lightning dropped two in a row after leading 2 to nothing in the first period at Dallas and at Carolina. Should the Bolts be concerned? Quarterbacks look good at the USF spring football game. And farewell to Miami head coach Howard Schnellenberger, who died on Saturday. I'll give you my thoughts about him. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. And uh, well, let's start just with, uh, real quickly, with Howard Schnellenberger, who uh, uh, who passed away. I think he was 83 years old, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, you know, if you grew up in Florida, as I did, or even if you didn't, um, you'll remember that the heyday of, of Florida football sort of began with Howard Schnellenberger bringing the Miami program to life. And when he did and won that national uh, championship over Nebraska, after he took over there, um, you know, you, you, you started to con- to have, you know, national championships at Florida, Florida state and such. And it became, you know, I think those, those three programs were ranked in the top 10, you know, for the next 12 years or something like that. But um, Schnellenberg, like his, his resume, like his coaching uh, tour is just it's it's unparalleled in many ways. I mean, this, this was a guy who coached with Bear Bryant, right? Um, I think he started at Kentucky with him he, and went to Alabama. Obviously, he was responsible for uh, bringing Joe Namath to Alabama. Literally, uh, wrote a bad check so that they could both fly from from New York down there. I think he spent about ten days trying, or Pennsylvania spent ten days trying to recruit him. Um, worked for Don Shula, obviously, as uh, uh, with the Miami Dolphins, and uh, was part of the, that '72 Dolphins, the only perfect or undefeated team in NFL history. And then, of course, you know, winds up, uh, you know, really setting, uh, you know, the tone for the University of Miami football for the next couple decades. Uh, when when he built that program up and and recruited the likes at one time I remember this I was uh, I was very uh, close to ending college and and uh, I think Schnellenberger they used to have the old they used to have the Howard Schnellenberger show I think it was on Channel Forty Four if you remember that station Steve uh, you probably don't it goes it predates you yep. being here but um, the Howard Schnellenberger show was on every Sunday night and. He remember I remember I distinctly you know he would sit there with a pipe he was this guy with the pipe right and he'd sit there and he kind of talk out of the side of his mouth and he was like well we got we got three quarterbacks here we got uh, uh we got uh Bernie Kosar and then uh or Jim Kelly we got Jim Kelly and behind him we got uh, this good young man named Bernie Kosar and then uh, Vinny Testaverde. <laughs> I'm like, you think about those names. They all three of them were at Miami at the same time, and they just followed each other in succession. It's because there was no transfer portal back then. No transfer portal. No, they would have all scattered, absolutely, after Jim Kelly's year. But, I mean, it was incredible. Uh, You know, and that, of course, the team that he had with, uh, you know, the Alonzo Highsmiths and stuff like that. But um, it it was really uh, a a heyday, and and it was, and he was a. He he not only he not only brought Miami back, but he really upgraded everything at the University of Louisville, right? And I remember this was sometime after you know he went from Miami, then he went to the World League of, of Football. I think it was World League of American Football is what they called it at the time. Took Larry Zonka with him, you know. Uh, I think Jim Kick from the Dolphins, and they tried to have a franchise in Orlando. I don't know if that even got off the ground. I can't really recall, but that's that's what got him out of Miami. Eventually, he went back to college coaching, and he went to Louisville. And Louisville at that time, basketball school, of course. Um, 
he upgraded their facilities to the point where they built a new stadium. He built a new stadium there. I remember I met him one time um, off of, uh, you know, somewhere in St. Petersburg near the uh, St. Pete Clearwater Airport at a hotel. There was a Louisville, the, the Tampa Bay chapter uh, of Louisville football boosters that he was trying to, to, uh, to grow. And as it turns out, um, his quarterback at Louisville, I believe, uh, was Browning Nagel, who was from Pinellas Park High School that I covered in high school. Browning Nagel went on to be a first-round pick of the Jets. And I remember him saying that that uh, I believe Nagel was going to be his Jim Kelly of that Louisville program. And he went up there and, and, and got them going. And then he then he started football at uh, Florida Atlantic. Mm-hmm. He, he was the first – he was the uh, sort of the godfather of that program. I mean, talk about a career. That guy, was, he was unbelievable. He was, and I, you know, I remember him from afar because I wasn't here. Sure, you know that, but the, you know, those Miami teams and coaching it, and then the Louisville stuff too, because I grew up in Ohio in that. So right, um, not far, and, and then you know, moving to Cincinnati eventually. So um, yeah, yeah, he's one of the he's one of the greats of college coaching, but he never gets talked about in that circle. Really, he doesn't, and I don't know why that is. It's just because his career was just so. You know, he could have stayed at Miami longer, obviously. And think about the people that came after him that had success there, you know, um, and won national championships, including one Jimmy Johnson. You know, um, without a Howard Schnellerberger building that program, there is no Jimmy Johnson at Miami, mm-hmm. you know. And so I just think that uh, you're right. He he gets overlooked when, when they talk about the greats of college football coaches. Uh, and he did. And, and like I said, his – it's it's similar, not exactly the same, but it's similar to when you go back and you look at what uh, the places that Bruce Arians has been and who he coached with, also Bear Bryant. Um, there's a lot of parallels there. Um, but guys that spend that much time coaching, you know, those programs and doing so well, it's just remarkable. So um, it, it was uh, Dave Hyde, who is a columnist for uh, the Sun Sentinel, I think, in Fort Lauderdale, wrote a column about him. And um, it was touching. He had, he had become ill. I think he was not in hospice, but was was in a senior living facility or something like that. And his wife um, kissed him goodnight one night, and he, she said, I love you. He said, I love you too. And he died peacefully in his sleep. He never, you know, he didn't didn't wake up the next day. So, um, yeah, tough, tough, uh, tough to read that news. But uh, what an impact he had on, you can just imagine how many players that were that were touched by him and so many people on social media talking about him. It was really something. All right. So, uh, while we were away, as they say, and I've been sort of on pseudo vacation, Joy Knight wrote these stories last week, but we, we talked, I think about a little bit about Indomitian Sioux coming back. Well, they got, uh, another piece in, in a big one in, uh, playoff Lenny Lombardi, Lenny Leonard Fournette re-signed with the bucks. I think it's one year, like three and a half million dollars, maybe somewhere in that neighborhood, not a ton of money. Um, you know, Fournette was a guy that, uh, had, you know, Seattle had talked about, but they re-signed their own running back. Obviously, New England had talked about him. Um, they re-signed James White. So I don't know, you know, how many, how much of his leverage was used up. But, you know, again, he had such an incredible playoff run. Uh, you can imagine that Tom Brady wants him back, and he was such a such a factor down the stretch. And yet... He was not the number one running back for the largest part of the year until uh, Ronald Jones, who was going to rush for over a thousand yards, um, got COVID and then became uh, suddenly injured before the Washington game in the playoffs. And then Fournette just kind of took over, averaged over a hundred total yards a game um, through the four playoff games, each of the four playoff games, and was really uh, you know impactful. And and uh, and yet, you know, we know right before that there was a point where Bruce Arians. Talked to, asked him if he wanted him to cut him because he had him inactive against Minnesota. He hadn't accepted his role. Here's what I'm wondering, Steve. What happens now? Okay, Ronald Jones is coming back. He's in his final year. Okay, he's going to be a free agent after next season. And he's gotten better each year. Should have rushed for 1,000 yards, except for injuries. And then you have Fournette, who is on a one-year deal. Okay? Um, you know, Then you have the rookie, Keyshawn Vaughn, who should be better, especially if they're able to get into the offseason, maybe play some preseason games, what have you. Okay, What happens if at number 32, the best player available is Clemson's Travis Etienne or Alabama's Najee Harris? If he's the best available, you take him. 
right? You do, right? I mean, yeah. and, and there, and I say that because there's a good, there's a pretty good chance one of those guys could be there. You know, um, there's so you know the quarterbacks. Everybody's talking about there could be five, maybe as many as six in the first round. It's going to push a lot of players, a lot of defensive players, a lot of wide receivers in this draft, and running backs have you know sort of get devalued as as the years have gone on. And I don't know that it'll happen, but I, I you know, the fact that Ronald Jones is in his last year of his contract, the fact that Leonard Fournette mm-hmm. has a one year deal. I think you'd have to do it. I think you'd have to take a running back there. If he's the best player on your board, absolutely. It's yeah. just, it's still a position of need, if not this year. Certainly next. For next yeah. year, because like you said, I mean, with Ronald Jones and Fournette, both their contracts coming up, you don't right. know what you have in Keyshawn Vaughn at this point. Mm-mm. You know, they may they may have some ideas based on what they saw in practice this year, but he really didn't hit the field much nope. you know, for this season. So you know, at some point you've got to address that situation. So if if ETN or Najee Harris or any other running backs, the top guy on your board at that point, you got to take them. You have to take them, and I and I think both those guys are special. And you, you know, you may see a situation where Leonard Fournette becomes the RB three on this team if that occurs, because you're not going to draft somebody like a talent like that. I've always said this that of, of all the positions, um, you know that that you can draft. One of the easier ones, with the exception of the pass blocking, which can be a thing for some players, but you don't have to put them in those situations necessarily. But but the, I think that the, the, the position where guys can make the biggest impact year one, one of the easiest transitions might be running back because it's such an instinctive position. You know what I mean? It's it's you got to get used to the timing and the plays and learn what you're doing. And obviously the blitz pickup and all that is huge. Uh, and that usually gives some some college players trouble. But you can still put a guy in there and hand him the ball, and those are special, special players. And if, if they're there, um, it's just interesting. It's interesting to me, too, that there wasn't – and I don't know how serious those other teams were, you know, about Fournette. Obviously, you know, if he's not getting $4 million or $5 million a year uh, and the money is smaller this year, there wasn't a ton of, of people they were, must have been bidding against, at least after Seattle and – and um, the Patriots addressed their running back situation. So, you know, uh, I don't know. You know, he's a great guy to have back. He certainly helped them down the stretch. But think about this. Now, this is the first time I mentioned 44 years. It was the 1977 Raiders uh, is, it was the last team to return all of its Super Bowl starters, all 22, according to the Elias Sports Bureau. 1977, and, and and back then there was no free agency as it, as it exists mm-hmm. today. So, you know, there was no reason for a player to leave other than you just didn't want him anymore um, or his contract ran out. So, you know, it's really remarkable what, what they have done and Mike Greenberg and Jason Light and those guys, and they pushed a lot of money to future years. We know they're all in with Tom Brady. Um, but I wonder how this will work. I wonder if, you know, they talked about, uh, going for two, not running it back, but going for two, mm-hmm. and they're going to do it with essentially the same team. That that means that there won't be a lot of positions available on this football team, uh, not just as starters, but also as backups. You know, and you know th- they're going to bring in some rookies now. I don't know if they can draft anywhere near the level they did a year ago when they got Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield and Tyler Johnson, and you know some of those guys played some and will play more. Um, you know, but it's going to be hard to make this football team. You're you're staring at 22 Super Bowl starters, but but you don't know. You know a lot of these guys are up there in age. They're they're doing one year deals. Whether it's Gronkowski, whether you're talking about Indomitian Sue, you're going to need depth. Depth. Uh, Levante David. Uh, you know those those are 30 plus year old players. Not to mention your quarterback. I think they still got to sign Blaine Gabbert. And everybody's going to ask about Antonio Brown. Is he next? And you would think logically, yes, he is. But what is is there? Has anybody heard of a market out there for Antonio Brown? I haven't heard his name really linked to any other teams like we did with Leonard Fournette and some others. So you know, Brown still has some some uh, legal issues in the civil courts that he has to deal with. I don't know if that's going to be resolved before the end of, of the twenty twenty one season. It may not be. Um, you know, and of course the NFL will weigh in on that if there's something that they they don't like. But you know. Um, from my understanding, you know, you know, Brown Brown wants to get paid the way he used to get paid, and and you would expect him that to do that. But I haven't seen a market develop for him, so 
I don't know that, you know, if Brown wanted to come back, it would seem to me that, you know, certainly there was a pecking order. Uh, it would behoove him, I will tell him this and his representatives, you would be smart to sign with somebody before the draft because this draft is loaded with receivers, as has the last couple been, all the way through to the second round. And so, you know, as teams start to fill up those spots at those positions, um, it's going to be important for Brown to have a seat at the table by then. So he would be wise to do that. But from what I understand, I mean, I don't think the Bucks are really anywhere with him from a contractual standpoint. And I don't know that they will be for some time. And I keep hearing, and I don't know if this is agent talk or wishful thinking or whatever, and I don't even know if it'd be a great fit, but you keep hearing about Larry Fitzgerald. And Larry Fitzgerald's, you know, his deals are, are over with Arizona. I don't think he's going to play there again. He could retire, and I think many people are suspecting he might. But if he plays another year, would you be surprised to see him join Bruce Arians? I don't think I would, although, look, I mean, the, the Bucks have, what, like $38 million tied up in receivers at this point? They really do, yeah. You know, you if Antonio Brown wants to get paid like he used to get paid, there's no way the Bucks can resign him, period. No, I mean, and they won't. And, and, you know, if Larry Fitzgerald expects to make the kind of money he made right. or, or close to. Now, if he wants to come for one year and, and, and for a cheap a salary Bowl. to try to win a Super Bowl and, yeah. and reunite with Bruce Arians and, and that whole crew, then then sure. Yeah. But if you want to yeah. get paid like you're used to or even close to, this ain't right. the spot for you at this point. I mean, you've got, you know, Mike Evans making north of 16, 17, 18 million, somewhere in that range. You've got Chris mm-hmm. Godwin on the franchise tag. Mm-hmm. Your tight ends, Gronkowski's making what eight? He's making eight. Could OJ's make as much making as ten. Yeah. OJ's, OJ's making six. Six, um, six and a half for Brait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a lot of money tied up in wide receivers or, or guys that catch mm-hmm. the Pass ball. Catchers. You know what? I'm looking on it's fifty-four million, I think, between receivers and tight ends. Sounds like out of a hundred eighty million dollar cap. I mean, you can't really afford to spend much more in those positions. No. No, indeed. And, and and for that reason, I think if I think if Brown or Fitzgerald comes, it's for you know two million dollars with a chance to make four if you have you know mm-hmm. ninety catches or something. But and I don't know you know the thing about Brown is is that he he actually gives the Bucks something they don't have. Like people say, well, mm-hmm. you've got Scotty Miller, you know, you take him off the field, that's not a good thing. I get all that. Scotty Miller is a, is a definite deep threat. I think the the best comparison to Scotty Miller is not you know, one of these slot receivers that Brady has had in New England, you know. Um, it, yeah, he's not Edelman. He's, he's not Edelman, Wes Welker, Amendola. He's really, to be honest with you, he's Deshaun Jackson. You know, he he's that guy that gets on the outside and just vertically takes the top off a of defense, period, runs by people at 4-2, whatever he runs. And so he he's a vertical threat is what he is. And you can run ends arounds and you can do things and find ways to get the ball in his hands. But he is a he's a, a home run hitter, you know he's a he's a big game hunter type guy. So you know Fitzgerald, you know with, with Brown you get a guy who you can throw the you know you can you can run any route. He can also take the top off of a defense. He can still run. It's unbelievable what kind of shape he's in. But he's sudden. He's quick. Like if you throw him the ball on the sidelines, you got him one on one in some smoke route or something like that. He can make a guy miss and go 35 yards. You know, he has this quick twitch that a lot of the receivers don't have. I mean, Godwin um, is a big is a bigger receiver. Uh, he's fast. He can block. He's physical. Mike Evans is physical. He can get downfield. He's a long strider. He has deceptive straightaway speed. Um, pretty good route runner. But Brown is a terrific route runner, and um, and and he's sudden and he's he can make guys miss in the open field. And that that's something that they don't have. Now, I don't know that Larry Fitzgerald provides that at this point in his career. You know, Larry played the slot position much like Godwin. That's sort of the type of player he is or had been at least for the Cardinals when B.A. was there. And and now at this age, you know, he's certainly lost some speed. So so he's not going to give you um, what Brown could. So I think I actually think Brown's still a better fit. Um, and, but you know, they could also draft a receiver. I mean, that's the other thing, like 32 could be a receiver. You just, you don't know where this is going, but I think if Brown's looking for, um, a much better deal than he got a year ago, when it was sort of play as you go, I, I think he won't get it here. I would agree with you. I think they're kind of done, 
um, doling out any kind of big contracts, especially at that position. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Hey, we are only three days from opening day. Is that right? That is correct. Wow. How about that? Tyler Glasnow on the mound. Uh, The Rays faced Charlie Morton on Sunday. They did. I watched that. And Morton looked really good, and he was throwing hard. And, uh, you know, Mark Tompkin, uh, check him out in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. We're going to have him this week. Uh, talk to us. Uh, I'm on Thursday. Day. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. on Thursday for opening day. So get you ready for it. They're going to be in Miami to play the Florida Marlins, and um, they did play the Atlanta Braves uh, on Sunday. And I, I watched part of that game. They, <laughs> it was interesting because Morton started, and uh, Mark had a chance, I guess, to talk uh, to him on Zoom or however they do that. But uh, actually, he was at the game, so he probably got to talk to him uh, in person. But it was one of those games that lasted like three hours and forty something minutes. It was a it was a kind of a tight game for a while. It was five to three, then five whatever, five five whatever, and then the Rays had like an eighth inning that lasted about an hour and a half. <laughs> they sent they must have sent sixteen guys to the plate or something like that. They scored like eleven or twelve runs. It was crazy. Um, but you know the the one thing about it is that that Morton, um, you know, he said after the game, he goes, "Look, he goes, I appreciate uh, Eric Nander and those guys being honest with me." The fact of the matter is, is that they simply couldn't afford him. I mean, he got his fifteen million dollars that he would have been owed if he stayed here. He got it from the Braves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 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 you can't begrudge him for doing that. Um, the Rays, it was just the economics; they simply couldn't afford him. And yet, Charlie says, "You know, look, I got I root for those guys. I got a lot of relationships. Obviously, he goes, they're my hometown team since I live in Bradenton now. Um, he didn't go far. You know, Atlanta is still uh, an hour away, I guess, uh, by plane anyway, but." Um, it, 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 I watched him pitch and he looked so, so Charlie Morton esque that it was, it was almost, it was cringeworthy that you're like, man, if they had that guy, you know, what was he? He was like 15 and eight as a starter, but in the postseason he was five and one mm-hmm. for them and, and had like a 2.0 something ERA. I mean, he was lights out when you, you know, when you needed a big game, when you needed uh, a starter to shut down a losing streak. You know, and and he he knows how to navigate in and out of trouble. He had a couple of base runners on the other day, and he you know he deuced two double plays and got out of the inning. You know that's just who Charlie is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know still still throwing the ball in the mid nineties. I mean he's impressive now. So it's it's such a loss for their whole staff and what what he's able to impart on the other guys too. But um, so well, yeah, that yeah, was I mean, the whole staff. I, I read a or I saw a, I read part of it, but. One of the San Diego uh, writers mm-hmm. uh, was was writing about Blake Snell and says, you know, he's not going to be the opening day starter you Darvish is, but he's already the best number two starter in Padres history. He hasn't even <laughs> pitched yet. I mean, you know, but yeah. that's how he's pitching in spring training and, you know, the talent he's got, of course. And, you know, you take Blake and, you know, Charlie Morton off the staff and, and wow, it's, I mean, you sit there trying to figure out how they're going to cover all these innings. It's going to be tough. I mean, I know they think a lot of Michael Waka mm-hmm. and and um, you know, obviously they've they've added to that staff. Chris Archer's back. Chris and Archer and Hill and you Colin know. McHugh. Right. So they they've got they've got named guys with lots mm-hmm. some major league experience. I don't know that any of them are going to pitch 200 innings or even 150 innings. You might have a bunch of guys pitch 100 innings, but mm-hmm. uh, the depth they're going to do it with depth and quality as opposed to um, just hanging it on, you know, two or three starters, and then going with the uh, the openers or whatnot. One thing that was surprising because they cut their roster down um, to the major league twenty uh, six man limit, and one of the guys I di- I did not see this coming that Josh Fleming uh, would be sent down. Now you know he he pitched really well last year when they had him up um, was had a great spring training I guess. But I think it's more about the start of the season in this sense, in that um, he's not a bulk inning guy. He's a he, he's a guy that you would use for an inning or two, or maybe even at times a batter or two. Um, but because they have a lot of well, not a lot of days, but they have more days off at the start of the season when they open, when they break camp, and they go to Miami and they come come home against the Yankees, I guess. Um, because they have those days off their bullpen's not going to be that taxed in the beginning. So they feel mm-hmm. like if they have to double up some innings, there'll be a day off in between, and it's not going to really um, you know, uh, tax them all that much. So I think that played into their decision, um, 
and you know they 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 decided to go with uh, Kittridge, who looks really good. Andrew Kittridge, Kittridge, and Ryan Thompson, we remember from last year. Um, and then they got two lefties with um, Ryan Sheriff and this Jeffrey Springs. I don't know if you saw him. He pitched mm-hmm. a little bit. Yep. On Sunday as well, looked really really good. So, couple you know a couple other lefties, but the guys that are are shorter inning guys that aren't um, you know aren't necessarily uh, you know the the bulk pitchers, mm-hmm. but uh, you know the rest of it, not much of a surprise. But that was one. That, well, uh, and the one out. thing to remember is last season, of course, the shortened season and the restart and what the 60 game schedule you had a 28 man roster this year it's a 26 man so you, you have two That's less right. players than you had last year and two then, less spots and, and mm-hmm. you know a lot of it was for you know restarting pitchers and lengthening them and you didn't have as long of a restart spring training so to speak in the middle of the summer you know so they 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 made an the the roster bigger so that you could have more players there and not tax the arms and all that so there was talk that possibly baseball was going to do a 28-man roster again this year, but they decided not to in, in negotiations with the players' union and everything that involved expanded playoffs, which didn't happen, and universal DH and all that. So, you know, but with the 26-man roster, it means your pitching staff's a little shorter. And, and different this year for the Rays is they have five starters penciled in, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. They don't. The plan right now isn't to have openers on a regular basis. That doesn't mean as the season goes on and days here and there, and you know, depending on injuries or whatever else happens, they may. But it's yeah. it's kind of a different look for the Rays this year than what we've seen the last couple of years too. So, and and we also know, yeah, they'll have look. Your fourteen pitchers on this roster aren't going to be the only fourteen pitchers you use this year. Oh no, of course you not. know Fleming and and all those others are you know they'll be up here. Um, mm-hmm. probably sooner than later. We know the Rays like to move guys back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's, you know, especially right now without a triple A AAA playing for the first month of the season, I think you'll see a lot of guys moving back and forth as they need arms. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. So, so to your point, um, you know, glass now will be the opener. Um, and that will uh, be followed up by, uh, Ryan Yarbrough who pitched really, really well on Sunday. He had a strong, a strong game on Sunday. And then after that, it'll be as Mark Tompkin writes, some combination of Rich Hill and Chris Archer in game three, uh, Michael Waka in game four, which he may even come in behind an opener if they decide to go that route. Yeah. It may depend um, on the matchup they, with the team and, and you know, who the, you know, what that lineup looks like. They may decide that. Right. In the schedule, the way it sets up, they may only need four starters to start because they got, Mm-hmm. Um, a fourteen-man pitching staff. So they open with three games at Miami, then they have a day off, then they play three at Boston, then they have another day off. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, they just decided to fill four open spots with with um, the guys that are more used to, you know, shorter innings or high leverage innings, that kind of thing, at least to uh, to begin the season. So um, you know, they can keep Fleming stretched out, you know, at the alternate campsite or whatever. Uh, but he was really good last year. I mean, he was four and zero, three one six, and five starts. So he did he did a heck of a job. He'll be back, obviously. But um, you know, the 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 interesting thing, like I actually think that they're going to have a good offense, a better offense. You know, it's been a while since we really seen the Rays where there's no position. Um, you know, all their position guys are back. There's 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 going to be a bunch of you know alternate lineups and things like that, and you know. With Yoshi out, you know, uh, Sutsugo will play first base for a while, I guess, and then Diaz can play there, and a lot of guys. But there's there's not a lot of change to that lineup. I mean, and it's a potent lineup. If you consider Meadows, if he comes back and swings about like he did in spring training, Brendan um, Lau has a better season than he did last year. Yeah, particularly I what mean, he did in the postseason. You know, and then Randy Arozarena. I mean, if he does anything similar to what he did in the postseason, and and um. You know, they uh, Margot has had a great spring, and he's uh-huh. hit the ball really, really well. Went through a lot of personal things with his family a year ago. I mean, there's there's so much upside still with this lineup. You know, you'll have trouble getting Joey Wendell in a bat now and then. You know, they're gonna have to. He's gonna have to move around and find a place to play. And isn't it funny um, that the Rays question marks are on pitching? Yeah, which is not what it is, and been. especially especially losing Nick Anderson for at least the first half of the season. That's that's the one that hurts. Uh-huh. Yeah, that really 
It hurts. You know, how they're going to manage their bullpen and and divvy up, you know, innings seven, eight, and nine particularly, but is is going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, Nick Anderson's a guy you slot in there to, you know, that was going Close to take out, one of those innings every time. I mean, you know, may not always be mm-hmm. the ninth or the eighth, but he's going to be in those high leverage right. situations. And, you know, he's gone at least mm-hmm. till the all-star break at this point. Yeah, that's I think I think that's going to be something to watch because no matter when that 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 critical part of the of the game pops up whether it's in the 7th, 8th or ninth inning, somebody's still got to get those last 3 outs. And there are guys that have done it on this team and and some have done it more than others, but um and I know they like to mix and match and they don't designate anybody a closer because then all of a sudden he wants money. Um but I I do think that that still with losing Nick who was lights out, especially in the regular season. Um, you know, he may have given up one hit to a right-handed batter all year. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to sort of work that out. But I'll tell you, one way would be to not have to have those close games if their offense does what I think it's going to do. Uh, I think they're going to hit, and um, you know, we'll just see if they stay healthy. But uh, but it's been a good spring, and we're ready. We're ready, man. It's a 162 game season. Um, hopefully, you know, by not too long, we'll, we'll have, we're going to start out with fans in the stands, but hopefully mm-hmm. they'll be able to have more and more as we get past this pandemic and playoffs and all of that. So we're, uh, we're ready for baseball. Uh, one thing that was, uh, I, I don't know you would call this alarming necessarily. I mean, I watched the lightning in both these games, uh, at Dallas, they had two leads to Dallas and at Carolina, Carolina, right there with the you know with the lightning for the best record in the mm-hmm. east and you know no shame in losing to those guys ever uh but i'll tell you you know they're they're missing Ryan McDonough and it shows well, and and they're, they're and Eric Turnick i mean and yeah both of them your whole shutdown pair your best defensive right. pair of defender and your your two best defensive defenders i mean Hedman's the best overall no question yes yes but the guys that take the high pressure minutes that are out first on the penalty kill that mm-hmm. when you need a stop are out there, you're missing not one of them, but both of them right now. And, yeah. and they're going to be back soon, presu- hopefully tomorrow night when they host Columbus or, you know, later mm-hmm. this week. Mm-hmm. But don't forget that their two best defenders were out mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, and so they didn't hold on to old leads very well and they weren't protecting their blue line as well. And, you know, every time you needed that stop, you needed that, you know, you, you, they're not out there for you. So Victor Hedman is now taking more higher stress minutes. And, and look, Victor's a tremendous defenseman. But he doesn't he doesn't take those the highest stress minutes of of playing defense right now because McDonough and Chernak are that pair. When they need a stop, when the pow- penalty kills out there, those are the first guys out there. And and so, you know, it's not to say it's not to say they played great in those games. There were some things. There were some good things they did, but they, you know, against Carolina, they played a lot of east-west. They got a two-zero mm-hmm. lead, and then they started going sideways. And, and against Carolina, they're very sound defensively. You got to go north-south, which is why the third yes. line scored twice. Did that, yeah, because they right. go north and south. They, you mm-hmm. know, Brian Engbaum was talking about it on the post-game radio show, and he states it more eloquently than, than I do. But. You know, particularly, in, and Stamkos is one who likes to get in the zone, stop, go sideways, mm-hmm. and you know, pass it around looking for that perfect shot, and that works a lot of times. But against Carolina, who's very sound structurally, defensively, north south, go get in the zone and attack. You're yeah. you have a better shot regularly doing that, and that fourth line does with you know Ross Colton back in there now. They traded Alexander Volkov which that was to make room basically for Ross Colton. And Mitchell Stevens presumably is going to be back this week or next. But Ross Colton with Matthew Joseph and Pat Maroon, that that line has been fantastic for the, f- I think, five games they've been together. Um, Ross Colton missed a couple, so it hasn't been the last five. But the five games they've been together, that line works. Ross Colton is, a, is slotting in nicely as a fourth-line center. It allows Joseph to play wing where he's more naturally suited. And Pat Maroon plays very well with him. So um, you really like what you have in that fourth line now with, with Colton centering that. But those two losses, I mean, let's not forget they f- that was on the back end of, what, eight games in 13 days? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had the, we know the, the five and seven, but, you know, you start adding up eight and 13. 
Um, you know, I they looked a little tired and sleepy at times in the last week. Uh, I think mentally they're probably drained. I mean, Sunday they had a complete day off. Uh, Monday they'll have a practice, their first practice in weeks, as far as a full practice where they really can get into things. I mean, they have morning skates and, and that, but you know they, you know, with this schedule the way it is, they're trying to get the players as much rest as possible. So some bad habits creeping in that practices can help, you know, fine tune in that. I mean, you know, so and, and look, the Lightning were never going to win every game this year. And they've lost two in a row. They didn't. They didn't play poorly in all of them, but they didn't have their full stable of, of players either. And uh, you know, Dallas is desperate for points, and Carolina is a very good team. So, um, you know, we'll see how they come out against Columbus this week. Columbus just lost two in a row to Detroit. They're reeling right now, not doing very well. So it's a chance for the Lightning to pick up four points here in the next two games, and and then Nashville comes to town, who's playing a lot better this weekend. So. I, I would agree with everything you said. I, I think um, they probably are a tired hockey team, but but I also, especially with those defense, you know, with with, with Chernick and them out, I, I think I think there's something about them having bad habits uh, on defense in particular. I think Veslevsky, look, he, he faced over 40 shots the last two games. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and the biggest reason for that is they took penalties. And they took a lot of penalties. That's, they, they, that's a big problem. Yeah. You can't put yourself in the box and lose your cool, especially against the Carolina team, which is like the best power play in the league right now. Yep. I, I believe the Lightning lead the league in, in time shorthanded. Yeah. If, if not, and, and they're right up there. And you just – you can't you, – you don't want to give good teams chances like that, even if – you know, and how many times does, does Vasilevsky bail them out, not just – uh, on the power play, but but also in the penalty kill, but also, you know, on the odd man rushes, they're giving up way too many of those odd man rushes uh, the last really week or week and a half mm-hmm. at times, and and he stops the the bulk of them, uh, um, and and those you know three three games which they both were after third period goals, and then all of a sudden you know they they find themselves in a penalty or something, um, you know. They they could be they could be seven goal games if it weren't for Andre. I mean yes. he he saves so many of those that you know they're fortunate to even be in those games at the end of them, and then they've given up the the late goal you know under three minutes to go or whatever, and and they lose four to three. But um, I don't know you know I know what you're saying like they're missing their they're missing their dudes right their best guys, but could the Achilles heel of this team be their defense? In some regard, in other words, mm-hmm. I don't know that they can make a trade necessarily because I know the cap and all that's a, a is an issue. Um, whether it's the structure, but we saw, you know, what's weird about it is we saw them go to Dallas a couple nights ago and play their best defensive game, mm-hmm. where they didn't give up any shots. I mean, Vasilevsky was sitting there; he had faced one shot mm-hmm. in the entire second period. So they're capable of doing it, but they tend to fall back into bad habits, mm-hmm. I think, and kind of leave him out to dry. Uh, I agree, and I, I think those bad habits happen when you're mentally tired, which I, I think yes. I think more than physically tired. I think there's some mental grind to this season. The grind, um, yeah. Of, mm-hmm. of just how many games are coming, how quickly. And, and that's not the mm-hmm. way they're used to. Uh, no. The other thing I'll say is, in, in, yes, the, the defense. Look, the one thing that changed since last year, yes, you're without Cooch, but you got Stamkos back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cedric Paquette's gone. But think of the defensive losses they had. Kevin Shattenkirk, a starter. Zach Bogosian was a starter once he was here. That's right. And Braden Coburn. So three of your top – you had nine defensemen last year. Yeah. Three are gone. So now you've replaced him with Cal Foote, a rookie, who's doing pretty well and getting better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not – He's not where you need him to be yet for playoffs, but he's you know he's progressing, and you see that progression, and you see him making the right plays most of the time, and and you know he I like his development so far. I thought it was a little shaky the first few games, you know, but you're making your debut and learning, but you're starting to see that development now. And then Andreas Borgman, who now has played his fourth game, and he had a rough game on Saturday. Um, I thought he's played pretty well the first three. That Saturday was a rough game for him. Um, you know, so you went from nine defensemen with a lot of experience, Shattenkirk and Bogosian, and how many games have they played in this league, and Braden Coburn. And those three are gone, and in is Calfoot and Andreas Borgman, who combined now have played 
going in the season had played, I think, 48 NHL games, all of them Andreas Borgman. You know, so, yes, the depth on defense is, is a – it can be an issue for this team if they start sustaining long-term injuries. I mean, luckily, McDonough and Chernak are considered day-to-day, and, and McDonough's been out about a week. Chernak's missed, what, two games, I think? Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully they're back tomorrow night or this week. But if you have some long-term injuries, you, you probably have an issue on this team. I mean, you don't have that depth that you had last season when you went in the Stanley Cup. No, they don't have it. And, and, and when you're playing guys like Jan Ruda a lot of minutes and things like that, I think you're definitely taking a step back. And, you know, but, but again, it's two games. We're shocked when – here's the good news. You're shocked when they lose two in a mm-hmm. row. <laughs> I, think well. it's, I think it's the second time it's happened this year, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so there's that. To feel good about, yeah, but. I'll be concerned. I'll start to be concerned if if we don't see a good effort Tuesday and Thursday against Columbus. I, I'm not necessarily that we may not win, but I, I think you'll see their efforts. Not the right word, but the 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 body of work they put out there. I think you're going to see a better attention to details. You know, particularly after having Sunday off and then a practice on a full practice on Monday. I think they said it was the first time in three weeks they've had a, what's considered a full practice, not optional and not, you know, that. So it, I, I think you're going to notice – I think you'll see a good effort and the energy and, 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 and attention to making the right plays and the smart plays and, and not not that mental grind, hopefully. I mean, that's, that's what – you know, they may not win, you know, because sometimes goalies can stand on their head or, you know, funny bounces, things like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I think you may see a more complete – maybe it's a more complete – a 60-minute effort. You know, I, I think they've had some lapses in the last week or two. And, and and I think the schedule's a part of it, and a lot of teams are going through this, and, you know, we're seeing it across the league. But, yeah, it's, it look, it's a good problem when you're concerned because the hockey team lost two games in a row. It happens to everybody. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. You know, as I, I have to remind people sometimes, the year that they scored 128 points and set the record with 62 wins, they still lost 20 games that year. Oh yeah. You know they they weren't perfect, and you know they lost two in a row several times that season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it, I don't I don't remember. Did they lose three in a row that season? I don't think I, they did. I, I know the year they went to the Cup against Chicago, they hadn't lost three in a row until the Stanley Cup final when they lost three in a row. I don't, I don't remember in the 62 win season they did early in the year because early in the year they I mean as the lightning have been you know tied for the best record in franchise history through X number of games it's not the the season they won 62 it's actually the season before that they've tied with the season they won 62 is they started off okay but they really got going the second half of the season and and were incredible record wise but um, yeah. you know it's still what we're a game of 34 35. The team's going to make mm-hmm. the playoffs. It's about getting ready for that and, and, and start doing things the right way. And you hope with the practice in a, in a little lighter schedule, you know, going forward, it's not light, but lighter than it has been the last two to three weeks, that will, will help this team. Well, it turns out they're going to see Carolina and probably Florida if they make it back to the Stanley Cup. So, um, you know, they, they got some really good teams mm-hmm. in their division, and even Dallas might come back and, and find their way that into the Nashville all so. of a sudden is uh, just a couple mm-hmm. points out of a playoff spot there. So, yeah. Um, you know, Columbus looks like they're fading. Detroit's playing better, but they're, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're too far back, yeah. Um, uh, but, the, but, you know, when, when the Lightning play them coming up, it's a better team, and they're a young team that's sure. growing, and, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs this year, but they're getting better throughout this season and they're better than they were last year. So, you know, kudos to Steve Eiserman and Jeff Blashill and, and the crew up there. So, um, you know, D- Dallas is scuffling a little bit. Columbus is, is scuffling, but Nashville's improving and Chicago's hanging in there too. So. Yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Well, uh, we'll wrap up on a couple things here college-wise. Uh, happy trails to Florida State and Leonard Hamilton. His group uh, lost to Michigan in the East Region semifinals, 76-58. It was a disappointing performance in that I think the Seminoles can play better. They certainly could could have better shot selection. They could have shot better. Um, their defense wasn't, and, and that's sort of been – their calling card is the defense generates a lot of chances for them. And, and as MJ Walker said, um, to be honest, he said, you know, it's, it's uh, usually what's, what's carried us, but you know, if you're going to win a national championship, you know, you can't, you can't have a day off and they didn't take care of the ball. They didn't shoot it very well. They did cut it at one point, I think to, uh, to five, uh, but then Michigan went out. Michigan's so good. And man, I'm telling you, if if there's a better fit at coach than Jawan Howard for that team, I don't know who it would be. That guy just seems perfect for for that school and and at this time. And man, they look like a national championship team to me. Well, and here's the thing: they're without their best player, Isaiah Livers, who's out for the rest of the season with a stress right. fracture in his foot. Right. They have right. the number one recruiting class coming in next year in college Whew. basketball, well, and most of that team could come back. Now, you know, we'll see what attrition there is, but. I didn't see the whole game because um, I was actually uh, working the Raptors game tonight. So um, mm-hmm. I was kind of watching some as we were setting up in that. But and from everything I've read and seen, it sure looked like Michigan put on a clinic that first half. On, on oh, defense they did. And took Florida State completely out of their game. And, and they did. Flustered them and, and, you know, made them, you know, turn the ball over uncharacteristically. Yeah. Um, you know, Michigan's a good basketball team. And, and, you know, when a good team can get you out of your game like that, it can frustrate you. And that's what kind of changed the game. I, mean, I think Florida State played better in the second half. But they did. By then, Michigan had a lead. And, you know, they know how to play with the lead. So, I mean, Florida State's yeah. a good team. Um, you know, you're facing a number one seed. I mean, you know, right. it's, there's nothing, no shame to be lost in there. And we've seen how many double-digit seeds are in the, the, fi- or the Elite Eight at this point. Right, um, UCLA, Oregon State. Um, trying to think off the top of my head who others, but I mean it's been uh, been a lot of upsets in this tournament. Much of the Big Ten, except for Michigan, uh, went 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 away right away. None of <laughs> them made all... the Sweet Sixteen except Michigan. Yeah, they were all bounced. <laughs> Meanwhile, and, the Pac twelve. Was... I think everybody's advanced to the Elite Eight. I know, right? Yeah, you had USC and UCLA and well, Oregon. And USC Oregon and Oregon are playing right now, so one of them has to be eliminated for this. Exactly, but, but they all made it, you yeah. know, deep into the postseason, mm-hmm. which. People didn't necessarily see, but that Michigan team is really, really good, and Jawan Howard has done such a great job there. So, I kind of—they're kind of my favorites to uh, to to go all the way. Cut the nets down, baby. You never know um, how how far that goes. Speaking of college, so you had a chance to uh, to be at the USF spring game, which I I wanted to watch, didn't get a chance to, but just reading the reports, uh, I think Matt Baker was there. I know Joey Knights blogged about things. It looks like that uh, Jeff Scott may have some quarterbacks and, and maybe maybe even a quarterback decision to make for the starters. Well, I, I think, you know, Cade Fortin started the game and then the Miami transfer, Jaron Williams, they were the two starters for the green and the white team. Right. Uh, Cade Fortin looked the best of those two. Um, you know, he's got the most experience and, you know, started some last year. I believe he'll be the starter come the NC Over State game, okay. you know, their first game. Mm-hmm. But, man, I'll tell you, Timmy McLean, a true freshman out of Sanford, and Catravis Marsh, who started a couple games last year, I, they look like quarterbacks. Mm. Like, I mean, they made mistakes, and, and Timmy McLean, you know, short on some balls, and man, is he fast and athletic. Mm-hmm. But he's back there. It, he just, it looks different. Mm-hmm. And, and Marsh too. I thought both of them. I, I, no one's really talking about Marsh's game, but I thought he played very. He had he he had one throw where he was scrambling, rolling to his left, and threw it fifty yards down the field, right to the receiver on, on about the ten yard line, right on the sideline. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was an incredible throw. Um, it's a spring game. Quarterbacks can't get hit. You know all this stuff. I, I get that, but watching McLean and Marsh back there. You know, and I, look, I think Cade Fortin's going to start, and he may be the best quarterback this year for the team. But mm-hmm. the future is bright when you look at those guys, and you just, they just look different. Like Williams was okay, um, you know, for the, the transfer, but Timmy especially, but even Marsh, they just look different. And I, I think, you know, the future is bright whether they play this year 
whether you know Fortin starts the whole year, who knows? But you know, you know, if, if here's what I know: I know Jeff Scott. Every time you hear him talk, at some point brings up Timmy McLean before he's even asked. <laughs> when coaches do that, you know there's something special about that player. Now, you know how much he plays this year. I, will you see some packages for him this year? I would imagine you would. Yeah. Um, well, especially because of his athleticism. I mean, you know, Cade Fortin's more of your pocket passer. Right. Timmy McLean, you know, he can run the ball as well as is throw. And he just, like I said, it, it looked different. It felt different when he was on the field. And as you were talking before the podcast, I think the challenge in all of college football right now, especially at that quarterback position, is how do I keep everybody here? How do I keep them happy? Because more and more, if somebody doesn't win the starting job, they're in the transfer portal before you can say boo. You know, so yeah, by the way, there's over a way. thousand college basketball players in the transfer portal right now. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's you just... know, USF's lost what six, Florida's lost four. Yeah. Um, you know, but there's over a thousand. They say by the time the final four hits are maybe twelve hundred in the portal. I mean, look, I get it. I I'm kind of one of those people that feels like, you know, you should have that ability without having to sit out because you know, guys get recruited to programs and it doesn't stop the coach from that recruited them from taking a job and moving on. So I don't see why you have to bind the players. But um, by the same token, you know, I, I think you see that we talked about this. How I think you see it, whether you're talking about travel ball, AAU ball, whatever, these kids, if they're not playing, they're not getting the minutes, they're going to find a place and they're going to move around until they do. So that's that's part of it now. But um but you know, especially at the in, in college football at the quarterback position, these guys are you're really going to see movement because they they want to be under center, they want to play sooner than later, and um, you know, not many guys like Kyle Trask will wait their turn, and it, it worked out for him, and it also worked out at Alabama for Mac Jones, mm-hmm. who now we didn't even talk yep. about. We'll get into this. Maybe we'll have a question or two in our mailbag. But we'll get into the Forty ers trade over the weekend. My goodness, uh, John Lynch and and uh, Kyle Shanahan. Uh, dealing a couple number ones uh, and uh, and some other stuff to uh, to move you know up to uh, the the third spot. And They're going to take NFL Penny Sewell, right? Rutgers. The offensive lineman from Oregon. You trade a couple number <laughs> no. ones for that. <laughs> no, they're going to take a quarterback. <laughs> and there sits Jimmy Garoppolo. I was like, no, 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 we're not done with him. No, he's 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 in our plans for now. Um, you know, and and so people are kind of drawing parallels to what Kansas City did. When they moved up to get Patrick Mahomes, of course, that was you know when they were on the board. But mm-hmm. um, you know they had a playoff team. They had Alex Smith. He was a good quarterback. Uh, Kansas City was going to playoffs every year, but they knew they could get better at that position. And even though Mahomes didn't play at all his rookie season, uh, by the second year he was their guy, and he threw fifty touchdowns. And you know the rest is history. And Alex Smith moved on. But uh, you know that could be what John Lynch and Shanahan are thinking about. And you don't know, you know, who the, it's obvious they're coming up for a quarterback, but which one? Um, Chris Sims, who knows, you know, Shanahan as well as anybody, has got a tattoo of his initials on his legs, for God's sakes. They both went to the University of Texas. Uh, he said that don't forget about Mac Jones. And I, you know, that's really high, you know, for Jones, who, but, you know, people compare him to Matt Ryan. And, you know, Shanahan more had more success as an offense coordinator with Matt Ryan, went to a Super Bowl, uh-huh. you know, with him. And he won an MVP that year. So, you know, we'll see just, just you know, who it is that they're going after. But they're definitely going to take a quarterback. There's no doubt about that. And they've, they've given up a, a ton of draft capital to do it. And so, you know, now I think you're going to see – you could see quarterbacks with the first four picks in the draft, five out of six, that kind of thing. Um Here's the interesting part is we're pretty sure Trevor Lawrence is going number one. Yes. I, I, in fact, Peter King in his Monday morning quarterback column, or I guess football morning in America, as he calls it now, uh, actually talked to Urban Meyer, who did not deny that that was, he says, you know, that, that is definitely where we're looking. Well, Meyer wasn't virtually point. on the Zach Wilson pro day. No. Which kind of no. leads you to believe that, you know, the decision's made or. Yeah, Lawrence is their guy, yeah. for sure. So Lawrence yeah. is going one. But San Francisco traded for the number three pick, which means they got to have two quarterbacks in mind that they think is worth that. And this, because and you this don't is, know who's going number two. Right. And this is what bothers me about sort of what they've done here is that to me, 
To me, you move up for the quarterback, not a quarterback, if that makes sense. In other words, how can you really be okay with either of the two? Like, can you say, well, you know, if it's Mac or if it's Justin Fields or, you know, I mean, it's you got to be in love with the guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you just want a quarterback or well, one of the top four quarterbacks, but it's, it need, you should have a passion for the guy you pick. Well, but but you, for for instance, the the Bucks, what last year, mm-hmm. they liked all four offensive linemen that were going to go high in the draft, and they were hoping to get one of those four. They ended up getting Tristan Wirfs, and, and that may have been the guy they wanted all along. They were going to be yeah. happy with any of those four. Now, granted, they hadn't moved up to do that. Well, they, they, but, there was a little. I mean, I know what you're saying about mm-hmm. the tackle position, and 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 you're right. They would have taken, they would have taken any of these guys, I think, because they had they had to get a tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, even though it's an important position, and I think they wanted Worfs, and that's why they made the move for him. And San Francisco actually made the deal, and San Francisco liked Worfs too, but they wanted a receiver. I think it's different at quarterback. I just no, think that quarterback position, mm-hmm. like. It it can't just be a guy. It has to be your guy, you well, know. And maybe 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 they have their guy. Maybe they know. Look, we will grant everybody, you know, the first two. We know who the first two are going to be, and we're convinced of it. And if, if it's not, we'll be happy if one of those guys is still there, and we'll jump at the chance. But I, you know, the way they're making it sound like, well, we haven't quite decided yet, but we know we're going to get one of those guys, and we're fine with it. Like, mm, I hope you're in love. I hope you're in love and you think he's the perfect fit for your offense. Well, I have to assume that there's that there's two guys that are targeting mm-hmm. to move up to three. Right. They weren't going to be able to move up to two. So no. you know, we know who one is, but we think Zach Wilson may be the second pick, but we don't know. I think he will be. I, I think he's so too. You know, but quarterbacks in this year's draft is loaded. It's important enough where – they may have two guys they like, you know, to make that deal. But you also know there was other teams trying to get up there, and if you didn't make it quickly, you may have lost out the chance to move up that high. Right. You know, this is a draft where teams are moving up for quarter. I mean, you know, it's possible the Bengals could trade down at five if somebody needs a quarterback at five. Right. You know, I mean, they're either going to take Penny Sewell or probably Jamar Chase because they need a receiver as well. But you know they could trade down and still get one of those two. I mean, you know this this quarterback draft's crazy this year with Trey Lance and Mac Jones and yeah. Zach Wilson no, and Justin Lawrence Fields and Justin and, Fields and you know yeah. he might be the fifth quarterback taken. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. it's crazy. No, I I think that uh, I I think they they have their guy and and I don't know who it is. It's one of those, but. Um, I think they've done the work and they've been to the pro days and they're, they're pretty convinced whoever it is, he'll be there and they're happy with it. And and they also, you know, it, it could be that their plan is, you know, we have a playoff team. We're okay with Garoppolo. Let's let him start, but we have this guy in the wings. Mm-hmm. That's our future. Yeah. And, 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 or what else could you say, right? You're not going to say, well, we're drafting a quarterback. So Garoppolo, he's available for trade. As soon as you t- say that you lose all your value now you're going to sit here and tell me that New England wouldn't have an interest in in getting Jimmy Garoppolo back? I know they would. You know, even though they have Cam Newton on a, a highly incentive laden contract, I think they would take Garopp. I think Belichick would take him in a heartbeat. He didn't want to trade him in the first place. So you know, if if somebody comes along and offers him the right package, they they may move him before the draft or shortly thereafter. Who knows? Maybe teams go through and see you know see how they how they fare, but. Um, it was a blockbuster deal, and here's the thing: I give them credit because that position, you know, unless you plan on losing a lot of games, as Jacksonville has, uh, or some, and then, like I said, when you do lose games, that means you have a bad football team and you got bigger problems than just the quarterback. But you know, you have to you have to be aggressive and try to get that position settled. I mean, you know, there are teams that have them, and then there's everybody else in the league, and we know that if a 43-year-old guy is still playing best of anyone in the league and winning Super Bowls, you know, everybody else is is still trying to find their guy. And, you know, you, you have to have him. And, and I, I because the rookie deals are so small, um, you know, you, you don't really – I mean, Garoppolo signed a huge contract, and that might be part of the problem as far as trading him goes. But as long as guys are on the rookie deal, if he's not your guy, move on. 
You know, Arizona did it, and they got Kyler Murray. And you know what? It was the right. It was the right decision. Where's Josh Rosen right now? Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I especially now without an enormous investment in terms of salary cap and signing bonus and all that, that's what you should do. So we'll talk more about that. And if you guys got any questions, uh, tomorrow we'll do our very popular mailbag segment. Yep. So you can submit your questions now or whenever uh, you can. I got some uh, from last time. I got some emails that we didn't get to. So I got some questions already in the hopper for that. But we got uh, plenty of room for more. Just send us uh, a line or your question on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'll have Tom Jones later this week, my former radio partner, who's always fun and entertaining, as well as Mark Topkin uh, to talk about the Rays and opening day just three days away against the Florida Marlins and Marlins Park in Miami. Can't wait for opening day of baseball. Should be a national holiday. It will be at my house. I promise you that. So, uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.